for your word, that in it you give us wisdom, that by it you teach us understanding. And so Lord, as we come before your word once more, especially as we're thinking about how to bring healing in the midst of broken relationships, Lord, we ask that you would indeed give us wisdom, that you would give us soft hearts and minds, that we would receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually has a warning about unforgiveness. This is what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your, altar, uh, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, we could read those words as words simply of good advice. If somebody's taking you to court, you better settle up before you get there because then you can end up in jail. Uh, if you've got a problem with your, within your family, you should, you should see to it and, and deal with that so that there isn't this ongoing rift. But I think that there's something uh, really interesting about Jesus putting these things together in the way that he does because what he's saying is he's saying that when there is unforgiveness in relationships, it puts you in prison. That when relationships are characterized by conflict and a lack of reconciliation, it can be so immobilizing, so overwhelming, so paralyzing. It feels like you are constantly walking on eggshells. It feels like you are just trapped with no way out. And as we have been looking at this Old Testament story, this story of two brothers, what we are seeing is we're seeing a family that is imprisoned by unforgiveness. We've been studying this story of Abraham's family, looking at his two grandsons, these twin brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau. And what we've seen is that these two brothers have been in conflict with one another from the moment they were born. That since they were born, they were constantly fighting and at each other's throats, that this conflict was exacerbated by the fact that their parents were playing favorites and all the brokenness that that brought into the relationship. And now they've grown up and that, that conflict, which started in their youth, has now reached a fever pitch. We saw last week how Jacob actually deceived his father Isaac in order to steal the blessing that Isaac intended to give to his older brother Esau. Jacob put together this plot with his mother, Rebecca, and dressed up and pretended to be Esau, taking advantage of his elderly father's blindness in order to steal away Esau, first Esau's birthright and then his blessing. The result is that Esau is enraged. We actually read that once he finds out what has happened, he makes a vow. And this is what he says. He says, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. And then I will kill my brother, Jacob. In fact, a little bit later on, we are told that he comforts himself with the knowledge that when his father dies, he is going to kill the brother who betrayed him. 
I don't know how things get much worse to where you have two people born in the same household, raised together side by side at a point where they are willing to take one another's lives. And yet here we have Esau literally being comforted by nothing but his anger, looking to get even with the brother who stole everything from him. It is a tragic picture of bridges that have been burned. And we look at that story and we're like, how could there possibly be any good that comes out of this? How could there possibly be healing in a story like this? When there's been so much deception, so much deceit, so much manipulation, so much resentment, so much pain and anger. And really, that's what this whole series has been about, is saying, how, can, how is it that God could possibly bring blessing and life in the midst of a family that is so dysfunctional? Last week, we talked about the importance that repentance plays. The repentance is more than simply saying sorry. Repentance actually means turning around or changing one's mind. And we saw how specifically what the repentance that was needed in this family is they need to repent of their unhealthy and ungodly and selfish expectations. That they all came into this relationship with these selfish expectations and those needed to be laid down at God's feet. That they needed to turn from those ways and turn towards God's ways for their relationship. But now this morning, we're going to be looking at another step in that journey of reconciliation. And that step, I think, is actually epitomized well in this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Tomorrow, we actually celebrate him and we celebrate his work. But we often forget that Dr. Martin Luther King, he was, before he was ever a civil rights leader, he was a pastor. He was a minister. And he reflected deeply on what the Bible had to say about things like reconciliation. And this is what he says. He says, we must develop the power and the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. I think that is a profound statement. He was devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. See, what Dr. King understood, and I think it comes from his, re his reflections on the scriptures, is that if broken relationships are ever to be healed, if hatred is ever to be replaced by love, then we need to go through the step of forgiveness. That the only way to healing and reconciliation is through forgiveness. And that what is desperately needed in Jacob and Esau's story is forgiveness, both asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness. And yet, that's exactly what we don't see. Because notice what happens right after Esau makes this vow. Rebecca goes to Jacob and she lets him know about um, his brother's plot. And so what she says is she says, Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Basically, she tells Jacob, you need to go all the way back to where your grandfather Abraham was from. You need to go all the way back to Haran. You need to flee. And you can come back when your brother's, you know, anger kind of dissipates, when his, when his anger goes away. Now, I don't know about you. This is some of like the worst parental advice that you could possibly give, okay, when your two children are feuding. Well, just pretend like nothing happened and run away so you don't have to deal with the consequences. He'll forget about it. Yeah, right. Are you serious? We know that's exactly what doesn't happen. Instead, what do we see? We see that Esau fumes and Jacob flees. There's no healing. There's no forgiveness either given or asked for. 
And, and we look at the story, and now these brothers are not just separated because of their past history. They are literally separated by geography. It is a broken relationship. Now, it would be easy for us to judge these two brothers. To say, man, just, why can't these two knuckleheads just get it together? I mean, don't, they, they know God, right? They know the God of Abraham and Isaac. I mean, shouldn't they understand something about forgiveness? Like, why can't they just get their act in gear and apologize and make up and move on? But remember what we talked about last week. I said that, that when, the reason we read stories like these is because scripture is intended to serve as a mirror. I love the fact that the biblical authors don't sugarcoat what is messy that they let us see these relationships in all their brokenness because in these pages and in this story, we actually learn to see ourselves. We learn to see the things in our own lives that God wants to address and call out. We learn to see those things that he wants to work on and bring healing to. And this morning, while it'd be easy to judge Jacob and Esau for their lack of forgiveness, if we look at this story as a mirror, it suddenly presents us with a very different question. The question is, how well do you do when it comes to forgiveness, both asking for it and giving it? How well do you do when it comes to forgiveness, both asking for it and giving it? I think when we look at this story through those eyes, when we see this story as a mirror, honestly, it can be a bit revealing. Because I don't know about you, I have a hard time with both. I have a hard time with asking for forgiveness and giving it. I have a hard time giving forgiveness because quite honestly, it feels good to be angry. That when somebody has done wrong to me, I want them to know that they've done wrong to me. I want them to understand just how much pain they've caused in my life. And so no, I'm not gonna forgive them. I'm not gonna forgive them until they come crawling back here on their knees, looking truly repentant. And then maybe if I'm feeling so inclined, I might let them off the hook. And the way that I like to comfort myself in this is I I like to speak, you know, self-righteous platitudes to myself. Like, well, if I were just to forgive them, then that would be letting them off the hook. And then they've never really learned anything, have they? And I don't know if you wrestle with that, but that's what I wrestle with. There's there's a part of anger that actually feels good. It's kind of like a drug. And I just don't want to let go of this. And I want the other person to understand what they have done to me that has caused so much pain. So no, I'm not going to give them forgiveness. But there's a problem with that approach in that it poisons everything. Recently came across across a quote from an author, and this is what she said. She's talking about anger and resentment in relationships. She said, resentment is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Resentment is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. Do you know who said that? Princess Leia. I had to get a Star Wars reference in there somewhere, guys. Come on. No, but seriously, Carrie Fisher actually wrote this in her memoir. She was talking about like the broken relationships in her own past. And she talked about going through counseling and therapy. And what she realized is that resentment is like drinking a poison and then waiting for the other person to die. That her anger was poisoning every other relationship that she had. And I think that that is true. Because when I'm angry at somebody and I'm holding on to anger and I'm not giving them forgiveness, it actually ends up affecting all my other relationships. It affects my relationships with the people that they know. Because now I'm upset at them that they're not upset at this person for what that person did to me. 
And I'm angry with anybody else who kind of reminds me remotely of that person because like it just brings back all these bad memories. And then if somebody does something like what that person did to me, then I just, I cut them off too. And before I know it, it's actually preventing me from entering into any other relationships in a healthy way because I've been so poisoned by my rage and anger, holding on to it. It's kept me out of places and communities and other relationships that are good for me because I just can't let go. You see, that's what unforgiveness does in our hearts when we don't give forgiveness to other people is it poisons us and it poisons every other relationship that we have. But I also wrestle with asking for forgiveness. I wrestle with asking for forgiveness because of the shame that it brings Because to ask for forgiveness means that I not only have to say I'm sorry for doing something wrong, I start to wonder, but then what does that say about me as a person? Does that failure then define who I am? And the fear and the shame that comes with that leads me to just run. I would rather run than have to face what I've done wrong. I would rather run than have to face the ways in which I've hurt another person. That feels safer, but the problem with that is is that then my past just continues to define my present. I end up running from one relationship after another because of the fear of saying, I'm sorry. What we see in this story is that's exactly what happens to Jacob. He, he runs. He goes to Haran, but he never actually deals with the deep heart problems that are going on underneath and, and ends up repeating the exact same uh, relational dysfunction that he had in his own family. He ends up actually getting tricked by his own uncle. And there's this ongoing cycle of deception and deceit, never once asking for forgiveness. His past and his past mistakes truly come to define who he is. And when we run, when we run from our past rather than facing it, when we run from our past rather than asking for forgiveness, it just ends up leading us in this onward cycle of always running away and never receiving the healing, uh, the healing that we so desperately need. And so what I want to say this morning is that if those are two narratives that you wrestle with, one of the things the scripture tells us about both of them is that they are false. That if you really look at what scripture has to say about forgiveness, what you see is that neither one of these ways of, of talking to ourselves about forgiveness are actually true. Let's take a a lack of forgiveness. You know, sometimes not extending forgiveness. We say things like, if I forgive them, then I'm just letting them off the hook. Well, what scripture says is that's not actually true. That if you practice forgiving, if you practice giving forgiveness the way the Bible talks about it, what it means is that you actually do have to deal with the problem. To give forgiveness the way the Bible talks about it basically means going to the person saying, hey, what you did was wrong and it did hurt. It doesn't let them off the hook because it addresses it head on. It says, what you did was wrong and it hurt. But listen, I don't want that to define us and I don't want that to define our relationship. And so I forgive you. Forgiveness allows us to name the problem while also robbing it of its poison. It allows us to name the problem without, uh, uh, while also allowing us uh, to, to rob it of its poison. It basically says, yes, what you did was wrong, but, but I want to make amends. I want to heal this. I want to, to reconcile with you. And, it, and it, does, it gives the other person the dignity of letting them know what they've done. And so many times I'm mad at people and they don't even know it. 
But in forgiveness, I can say, hey, this, this, is, this is what happened between the two of us, and that really hurt. But I want you to know that I forgive you because I, I love our relationship, and I want us to fix this and work on this and walk together through this side by side. I don't want this pain to come to define who we are any longer. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about forgiveness. That's what biblical forgiveness looks like. Or likewise, let's talk about the shame for a second. We say, but if I ask for forgiveness, then I'm admitting that something is wrong with me. Well, first, let's say this. There are certain self-images that should be broken, okay? If we have a self-image that says that I need to be perfect all the time, I can never admit that I have any fault or, or anything like that, that is something that is not from God, that is unhealthy, that needs to be shattered, But at the same time, the other thing that the Bible tells us, which I just think is beautiful, is it tells us that we are not our mistakes. That we are not our past. That in forgiveness, God actually washes us clean of the things that we've done wrong and reminds us that we are his child, his beloved child. That is the beauty and power of Asking for forgiveness is it sets us free from that shame and from that fear. But more than that, it actually invites someone else into the journey with us. By going to the person saying, hey, I know that what I've done is wrong and I'm sorry. We also are extending an invitation to them to enter into the journey with us. To help us see the ways in which we've fallen short and made mistakes. And then walk beside us as we learn to grow. And that is a beautiful journey when we learn to walk together in faith. When we learn to minister to each other by not simply saying, I forgive you, but but let's walk together and heal what is broken. By coming and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong, and, and what can I do to make it right? How can we walk together? It's this beautiful invitation to a deeper journey that we get to take with another person. I'll be honest, one of my biggest heartbreaks when I read the story of Jacob and Esau is, is imagining what could have been between these two brothers. I mean, what if repentance and, and forgiveness were just a part of how they interacted with each other? I mean, Esau and Jacob, yes, they are radically different in almost every way, but, but you can either look at that differences as a barrier or you can see those differences as a bridge. Can you imagine how their, their, their mutual strengths could have been such a benefit to their family and their tribe? Esau is this great warrior and hunter. Jacob is this brilliant tactician. If he had actually used his brains for wisdom and to bless others, if Esau had used his brawn to defend the weak, can you imagine how their family would have been different? What a blessing they could have brought to the nations around them. I look at the story and think about what, what a difference repentance and forgiveness could have made to these two brothers. And you see, when we hold on to our anger and when we run because of our shame, we are robbing ourselves and our relationships of the beauty that just might be. And one of the things that I am so grateful for is the fact that Jesus never held on to his anger nor ran in his shame, but he entered in. He entered into our world in order to set us free. I love this quote by the Christian author, Lewis Smedes, who said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And that's exactly what Jesus did, is he came in and he gave us a taste of just how freeing forgiveness can be. Because in Jesus, we see the truth of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
He said, this is how we know God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus entered into our world, and even as he was being crucified, gave forgiveness to the thief who was being crucified right along with him, promising him that he would be in paradise with him. That Jesus was able to look out on the crowd, yelling insults at him, and actually say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus was willing to enter into the darkness and the mess in order to forgive us and to set us free. Makes me think of just another brilliant quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said this, Jesus is tough-minded enough to transcend the world and he is tender-hearted enough to live in it. He does not leave us alone in our agonies and struggles. He seeks us in dark places and suffers with us and for us. You see, our forgiveness, first and foremost, is a gift that we receive. It's a gift that's given by Jesus to us so that we know that our past and our mistakes no longer define who we are. So that we can taste and see how truly freeing it is to know that we are forgiven. But then he gives us that gift so that we might give it to others. So just as he entered into the brokenness and the mess, we too might be entered into brokenness and mess and bring with us the kindness and compassion we've received from Christ. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in Ephesians 4.32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know where you are at in this journey. I don't know what sort of anger you're holding on to or shame you're running from. But this morning, what what Jesus wants to tell us is that that no longer has to define you or your relationships. That you can lay your anger and your shame at his feet and simply receive the forgiveness that he gives to you. To know that you are deeply loved by your God. And that he has now sent you to bring that kind of love and healing into your other relationships. Because when you've tasted and seen just how good forgiveness is, you find you really do want to give it to others. I can't tell you how many times in my life when I've gone and truly said I'm sorry and received somebody else's words of grace of I forgive you just how good that feels. Or how when somebody else has come to me and said, hey, I I know that I wronged you and I apologize and I've been able to lay a hand of blessing on them and say, I forgive you and I love you and let's work on this together. Just how good that feels. Relationships that just seemed impossible to heal suddenly become these beautiful and sweet things that are able to endure any future disappointments because they are grounded on this bedrock of the repentance and forgiveness that we've already received in Jesus. Forgiveness is something beautiful and life-giving. It is like the precious oil of God's blessing being poured down upon our heads. It is like life-giving streams of water in dry places running down from mountain springs. It is like a foretaste of everlasting life as we learn to give what we've received to others. Forgiveness is the next step in the journey of reconciliation. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. But it is more beautiful and life-giving than anything we could ever receive. 
And so if you are sitting there this morning and you are thinking of a relationship that is just ripped apart, the message for you is you have received that forgiveness from Christ. And that because he is with you, he will go with you to then extend that forgiveness and healing to others. And it's with that in mind, I wanted to close this message in prayer. Lord, we do ask for your forgiveness for the ways in which we have not extended grace to other people. For the ways in which we have run in our shame rather than saying that we're sorry and seeking to bring about healing and make amends. Lord, we ask that you would take all of our anger, all of our shame, all of the pain and the embarrassment, and Lord, that you would wash that away. That because of the forgiveness you've given us in Jesus, we might have a new life and a fresh start. And we pray that that is something that we could give in those broken relationships that we have. That we can enter into those with a posture of humility and compassion and kindness. And through that, not only would our relationships be healed, but people would come to see just how good it is when we learn to walk life with you, our forgiving and reconciling King, our loving Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want to give us an opportunity to confess what it is we believe about the forgiveness that we've received. Would you please stand?